0: Welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. My guest today is someone very near and dear to me, Alice Treves. I wanted to drop this episode just to keep the energy going. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Hit me up if you have any questions. Without further ado, Alice Treves and Jeff Z, in a rambling, musing conversation about the human ego. Here we go. Alice Treves, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm really glad to have you here with me today.
1: Thank you, Jeffrey Szilagyi. I'm really happy to be here.
0: For those who don't know, Alice and I are married. And one of the beautiful things about marriage is you can be desperate in, in marriage. And um, I'm slightly desperate, and I know that you can help me with that. And I'm desperate in this way. It's part of the journey of working with the podcast and and really finding a rhythm and then dropping out of my rhythm and just being, I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. And so thanks for coming on the show because I am desperate. I I actually honestly am at a loss exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. But I, I I think about the things for me that that I find valuable, that I like to talk about, and I do want to create shows and, and have discussions about. And one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk with you about is kind of a bonus episode. Like, let's just keep the energy going, keep finding those conversations that matter. And one of the conversations that really matters to me is our conversation around ego. Mm-hmm. So I've invited you on today to share our conversation we've had around the ego over the past, I think more, more specifically three or four years, but in general, uh, probably you know because we've been together 20, 24 years now that we have an understanding about each other's ego structures and development. That's really, really helpful. Um, But I think it's also important just to let people know who you are a little bit. And so beyond being my wife, you are a professional in the world. And let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So professionally, I'm a psychotherapist. I have a private practice in Marin. And I also work at an independent high school as a therapist and a part-time teacher there of social-emotional learning and psychology.
0: You're awesome, and I know you've done a lot of uh, good work with young people and also in your private practice. Though I have to say I do know less about that because you're really good at confidentiality. (laughs) But I trust that, and I trust you, and I trust our relationship. So let's get into this conversation around ego, and I'm going to put the question to you first. What did I start saying to you that suddenly made you rethink the ego and its value and its function.
1: The thing that you started bringing to me in your thoughtfulness about evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biology was the idea that we're how did you say it? We're like we're rising apes. Yeah, is that how you said it? Yeah,
0: that's was and 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 for the listeners, what I would say is a number of years ago when I really started looking deeper in distress and I started looking deeper beyond my Chinese medicine initial training and I realized that I was less of a fallen angel and more of an upright primate. Mm -hmm. An upright ape. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Upright ape. I like that. Yeah. So I was in a coming out of a spiritual community at the time when you were kind of forming these thoughts. And I had felt intuitively like there was some transcendental Orientation in that community.
0: And what do you mean by transcendental?
1: Transcendental is like rising above the ego. We've got to supersede the ego. We've got to rise above it. And that has been throughout my spiritual training that I've done since I was pretty young. I started meditating when I was 13 with a Buddhist community and followed Buddhism, different strains of Buddhism, Thignat Han and a lot of Vipassana. And To come to my own understanding of how important, through my work, my psychological work and my personal work, how important the body is, how we cannot disentangle the ego and the body where we are embodied. And then for you to bring that idea to me was very um, kind of crystallizing in my thoughts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I mean, I agree with the uh, the conflict that's in there in spiritual communities and and, and certain psychological approaches and, and a lot with health, because I saw the same conflict with self. And, and so I would say the, the upright primate thing, and I think other people have come to that conclusion in their own way. I've heard it said in a, a number of ways, but was really for me what I call an evolutionary awakening that the awakening to the fact that the way i feel think experience my life is an echo forward of ancestral energies and patterns yeah there's definitely the the personal my family unit my own development my community my society but most deeply the strongest part of me as a as a human is the echo of humanity happening through me. And so much of those things that were set and developed happened in, in more ancient species than, than humans or even early primates um, all the way back to the cellular world. But when I started to realize that that there was a sense in my body that was um, connected farther back, I started think rethinking how I thought and felt about myself my own desires my own tendencies my own confusions and and it i started to relook at my own spiritual orientation with a deep evolutionary bent and it really transformed how i was thinking about it and so the place where that started culminating for me was when we were backpacking in in desolation wilderness and our children were young and they needed help going to the bathroom in the wilderness and i would also work down in the in the in the city in the financial district and you know, there's homeless people who don't have the resources they need. So I was just contrasting, you know, defecation in the city, defecation in the wilderness. And that the defecation in the wilderness, just like, it felt okay. You know, there was nothing <laughs> gross about it. it mm-hmm. just kind of belonged there. Uh-huh. And then defecation in the city, it's like, ugh, gross. And, I, and I, so I started thinking about the ego that way. That the biggest problem with, and for me, ego that I've looked at is just, it's Latin for I, and the, a sense of self. You know, a sense of self-value, a sense of self-esteem, a sense of self-awareness, that those are things that we actually need. A sense of defense, a sense of being able to protect ourselves, um, having fears, all those deep neurological things, right? So I started to realize, oh, so much of, of why the ego smells bad is really just the modern context. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost the modern story, the mismatched story with the ego, instead of seeing its true value in the wilderness when it's well-placed in relationship. So that was my kind of early thread in the early part of last decade of like moving towards a deeper embrace of the nature of having a sense of self.
1: And what's your sense now of what a well-placed ego? (laughs) I think it's tricky.
0: I think it's tricky. I don't think, um, you know, in a hunter-gatherer society that those ego structures are really um, clear a healthy hunter-gatherer society, they would be well placed and worked with and related with. And but I think in modern times we have this beautiful thing where we can exaggerate certain parts of ourselves, you know, people can become massively tooled and eccentric in some way. Like Salvador Dali, you know, it could just be this amazing creative person or some other kind of a uh, massively influential and inspiring person, but that doesn't mean that they have a well-balanced ego. So I kind of think we're st- stuck in some ways with the time and um, that we can understand the need for a self. And I would think one of the places we could talk about around the ego and, and the need for a sense of self comes with the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett and how we both got really turned on to her work, um, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. Yeah. You know, and that really... That's right. The predictive element of the ego. That's right. That's right. That the brain's function is to predict. And simultaneously, the brain is more efficiently hallucinating or using stored information rather than doing the energy resource of direct, fresh perception. Mm -hmm. It's like we just call call on the familiar all the time.
1: Yeah. So before we started our conversation, I was just kind of sitting with, what's my experience of my ego? And for me, it's mind. It's the, the chatter and the well-worn grooves that I am so familiar with that I go back to that's an orientation. And that's my experience of ego. I don't know if that's the kind of engine that ego uses, um, but it's definitely mind. So that fits with Lisa Feldman Barrett's sense of it's there to, to make sense of and predict and feel safe in relationship to our environment.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it, I always think, because when you talk about safe, I think about stress, and it's hard to disentangle stress and ego, mm-hmm. right? At least ego as we talk about it as the defensive structure and our kind of worst selfish behaviors when we have a very poor or inadequate model of what's going on around us. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so when you talk about that safety and you talk about that, that, that mind, I'm, I'm interested more on hearing more what you have to say about that, um, in terms of the well-worn grooves, because the well-worn grooves are obviously familiar. They've been worked at Mm -hmm. (laughs) repetitions, you know, half conscious, unconscious. Right. And, And, and what the, what, how you feel about your mind you know, and like what's your relationship with your mind as you experience it right now or or your ego as you're experiencing it?
1: Yeah. 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 One thing I've been thinking about using my mind to think about is as you grow older, I've just been noticing not necessarily with me, but with people around me. And I think with me as well, that anything that is habitual in terms of our thinking patterns becomes more ingrained as we get older. And you know so people get more stuck in their ways and i think it's neurological it's it's a it's literally the the wiring of thought patterns in our brain and the way that i experience that is like i said through my mind chatter mm-hmm. and The thing that has come to me in terms of the tool to work with it, there's a couple of things. It's really noticing, you know, using the ability, the mindfulness really ability to kind of say, okay, there I am in that pattern again. And I have ways of identifying different general streams, especially when it comes to negative thought patterns. And the other thing is parts work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about both of those. I I think those are great. Um, And then a minute ago, when you said that as we age and I, I was like, yeah, there can be a loss of range of motion. Mm-hmm. And so Mentally. just like we need flexibility in our bodies, we need neurological flexibility, Absolutely. right? hundred So I, I, so I think the, the fair critique of the ego or the sense of self is when it's fixated, mm-hmm. right. Or when it's losing range of motion mm-hmm. in terms of its flexibility of its sense of what could be or, what's what the position is right yeah i think the other fair critique is the issues that come around with a separated self a small self right but i i think the challenge of being in that critique of the small self is it can begin to it's like for me i'll just tell this story because i had to do it a long time ago was when the voice i call it the super ego It's the ego that's actually more righteous, more spiritual, knows more, and is criticizing me. And one time I just got the gumption to turn around and look at it and see if I could see the face Mm. of the voice that was criticizing me. And I saw a very unhappy, lonely, scared human being there. Not my own face, but... Mm -hmm. Apart. Apart, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Back at the parts Uh work. And that was really helpful for me because I started to realize, okay the superego that's judging the ego can be even more tyrannical, more problematic. Dominating the the small self is not exactly um, a healthy way for the mind to be interacting. And I think in the gap of the wilderness and the hunter gatherer thing, I think the modern experience is much of this mind as chatter, Mm -hmm. mind as not adequate, mine as scared confused but can't really do it so let's create a facade of of comfort or or acceptability yeah so um maybe maybe we are going towards
1: parts work on that Mm -hmm. yeah let's see what's the entry point with parts work
0: why don't you tell people what parts work is for those who aren't familiar with it
1: yeah so in a nutshell parts work is and you know this is the the deep study of many um well-versed therapist, including Dick Schwartz and John Eisman, uh, to name a couple of my teachers. And they talk about each of them in a little bit different ways, but the fragmented selves that we all get stuck in. That's that kind of, you know, loss of range of flexibility. It's the part we often get reflected back to us from our partners or, you know, people who are close to us or our coworkers that isn't functioning that well. Um, But there's all kinds of parts. There's all kinds of parts of us that we adopt at different points in our lives. And the critical aspect of it is that when we're hurt as children, we adapt by creating some kind of self that comes in to protect us and to adjust to our circumstances. And it's usually got a great intention and it's usually above its pay grade yeah. because it comes in at a time when we're young and we don't really have the capacity to care for ourselves, but we pretend that we do. And so we develop these selves, these kind of frag fragmented selves that come in to try and adjust to the world and be a somewhat of a, you know, a veil or a screen or a sentry, a guard, um, to try and deal with, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that life is,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's good, and and so that fundamental defense. I mean, I guess the question I was thinking, like, oh, is that a false self? People talk about false self, authentic self. In your view, is the that defensive part that comes in to shield an underdeveloped um, or a hurting?
1: I guess I see it as an aspect of self. It's just kind of fragmented from the true self, mm-hmm. and so the other thing that you know, both of them talk about. Um, is that there is a unified self. There really is a sense of self. We come in whole, you know, and these little fragments are just like, it's like a fragmented mirror or something, you know, it just distorts what the essence is and what our truth is a little bit, but it's still connected to that source.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm thinking about pain aversion a little bit and as a kind of motivation for us to fragment because it's easier to if we're overwhelmed as a young person to face certain kinds of hurts and certain kinds of pain. Um, In fact, I had an interaction with someone recently in my practice who's in their sixties and they're still not quite able to meet their uh, abandonment issues. Like it's too intense even to still feel exactly Mm -hmm. the depth of the abandonment, you know? So I definitely see that protective part and I, See, I appreciate that. And so for me, from a neuroscience, but also more importantly, an evolutionary point of view, I'm like, okay, that seems, it can be problematic, but that defensive structure seems necessary, Absolutely. you know, and starting to appreciate it in its limits, but ego development, right? Self-development, self-identity development, self-worth development, um, not to you know become inflated in as a kind of false im i'm I'm, I'm separate from the the rest of the universe. funny joke, very funny <laughs> 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 like that's just really funny right now. I'm not sure why uh-huh. um and then uh so that i'm that I'm separate from the universe and then I'm gonna put up this like big human skill thing or you know have a a massive profile or you know a kind of a, a deep front of status. And of power, I'm not. I'm not talking about that kind of ego development, but you know, I, I do think that part of ego development is dealing with power, right? And loss of power, and 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 how to have enough go to Lisa Feldman Barrett, how to have a holodeck at which our internal reality is lining up with external reality in a healthy,
1: functional way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. One thing that I want to riff off from that is the that. The sense of compassion that we have for our fragmented defense structures, you know, how they show up is really what's going to help us transform them and also have that neurological shift and that flexibility. Mm-hmm. We're, we're never going to rid ourselves of, you know, these these allies that show up in our lives, but we can not have them in the driver's seat. And we can do that through compassionately understanding why they showed up and the job that they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's beautiful as well. And, and I'm kind of curious just to bring the listeners in a little bit more mm-hmm. deeper into your own knowledge there. How do you build compassion for a defensive part that say maybe is over its pay grade, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm. it, it comes in and you're kind of like, oh, I got this, you know, yeah. I, I can do this and really... Deep down, there's not a genuine ego development. There's yeah. not a genuine sense yeah. of self that's yeah. competent.
1: Right. Well, my sense of compassion comes from listening. You know, if you really, you not only listen, but you hear, mm-hmm. you know, either where someone else is coming from or one of your parts is coming from, then the transformation happens on its own. You know, you kind of open yourself to like, okay, and you, and then you might have feelings about the part and you kind of have to deal with that as well before you can really dialogue with it in a way where you want to understand where it's coming from, like get it in a heart level, you know, not just in a head level. Yeah. And then, and then it's about really healing what it's trying to protect. So whatever got frozen at that time also needs to be felt. Mm -hmm. It needs to be actually witnessed and felt. And so with its permission, you go and you do that work. And I find it profound in terms of its healing capacity and also, you know, like the neurological flexibility that can happen around that too of understanding like oh I have I have parts and I'm coming from that right now but I have choice around that
0: yeah keep going I like what you're saying if you got okay. more yeah
1: no I think that's good for now okay that's, good yeah. yeah
0: good good I'm just listening and I'm yeah. taking it in and um, I'm just thinking about the different things we've been riffing off and we've been going you know we're 20 some minutes in and we've been mm-hmm. cruising here on on lots of things, evolution, parts work, ego, ego development, ego structure. And I'm just kind of figuring out what the next move is for me. Yeah, I, and I and I th- I think partly what's coming I want to come back to is a little bit of the spiritual transcendental part. Mm, sure. I've named I've named what I consider what I my own super ego kind of self criticism. And and I know that I, I started calling it the small soul, the ego, as a way to be benevolent towards it. And I see the small soul as a kind of um necessary function that 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 is somewhat limited, it can be really cool and really amazing, is super fascinating, is is tied to deeper self-healing mechanisms like that are in there, like when you talk about just listening and, and like it just starts to work out, like just being present to the truth of the of the neurological experience or the the imaginative life story structure that we're all generating and how it can start to self correct once it you give it that presence. So I think that's that that healing spirit that's kind of intrinsic, that homeostasis is there. Um, but I, I've been working on a what I would consider kind of a defense of the ego, you know, and my defense of the ego is it's a small soul and it's necessary. It's imperfect, you know, particularly as complicated as the world is, as overwhelming it is. One of the things I do to build um, compassion in and, and I think the hunter-gatherer story is helpful because I you re, I realize when I when I tell it is that, wow, you know, maybe in your lifetime you met a thousand people. You knew 40, maybe 70 people who knew you really well. Doesn't mean you all liked each other, it was all great, but there was coherency there and the amount of novelty. Um, and, and uncertainty, which was coming in informationally, globally, you know, uh, in uh, at all the levels that we have. And then you think, well, basically, you you know, you're, you, you develop some mastery with your environment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, yeah. you can hunt, you can gather. Yeah. There's adversities. Yeah. There's other human tribes that you're competing with, but th- the amount of threat in the environment mm-hmm. is very clear and you, and you've developed and equipped the handle or you didn't make it. Right. Right.
1: And also as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about dopamine in relationship to ego. Cause that would be a really interesting little sidetrack. Let's go, go there. Yeah. yeah. What are you thinking? Well, novelty. I mean, so threat in terms of like the, everything was relatively predictable. Right. But novelty affected our brain in a way where things were very heightened. You know, whether it was a novel food that we came upon, like some honey, you mm-hmm. know, in a tree mm-hmm. or a novel experience of a new tribe or the novel experience of a, an animal that you'd never, uh, maybe, maybe that wouldn't happen, that there would be an animal that you hadn't encountered before, right, within your little biosphere. But novelty, we didn't have a lot of it and we have so much of it now. And how does that relate to the ego in your mind?
0: That's a great question. I think that part of the um, part of our ego structure or our cultural practices around our life is we can easily use novelty as a way to stimulate a sense of movement. And the reason I say that is I notice in my relationship when I drink coffee, when I drink coffee, it's, which is a dopamine promoter, it's almost as if I'm moving. It's almost as if something is actually happening, but really I'm just drinking a cup of liquid, you know, and I'm not really doing a lot in my space. So, you know, I think that we are moved synthetically and, and and culturally and socially by all the, the, the access to novelty and new things and new ideas and new stories. And, you know, and, and that that's very stimulating and I think we have highly stimulated egos. And that's where I was talking before about the exaggerations. Mm-hmm. Like we get these really, and it's kind of cool. Like you you wouldn't see a hunter-gatherer be, maybe there would be a, a eccentricity in some way, but not like we have in today's world. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's, it, it's distorted, but I don't mean it negative. It's just exaggerated. We just have, exa- I think we have exaggerated stimulated egos. Mm. But I think the problem with that on the dopamine and going back to episode 19 with Anna Lemke, is that that stimulation, that hyper-stimulation, creates neurological imbalances which cause us to have a distorted sense of self. I mean, we can go right to the, the research right now around young girls and their sense of self and how they're feeling about it mm-hmm. in relationship mm-hmm. to social media mm-hmm. and the emotions it generates. Right. So interesting, stimulation generates pain, which would be right there in... You know, in her line of work with mm-hmm. Dopamine Nation, what do you think? Does that seem right, or you got a different idea?
1: No, I mean, I, I, that's a deep one. That's one to touch on. You know, the effect of social media and the distortion and the, the hyped upness of, you know, the dopamine and the novelty. All the
0: filters that are going around right now, like all the feeds are all about catfishing filters and fake filters and all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I have right now a lot to say about that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I haven't seen the filters. I'm a little detached from social media right now. Good on you. Yeah. But there's a lot of dopamine available for me <laughs> when I'm ready to go back. I had a little dive into TikTok the other day because I'm, I'm off work for the Christmas break. And it was like crack. <laughs> like oh, I could just stay on here for, so- <laughs> for hours. And you
0: feel like something's actually happening, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's all a simulation and uh-huh. it's all like, and what's your sense of self after that? Like I, if I think about all the time I've spent, very few of the little videos or posts I've seen actually stick with me. Yeah, you know, they it's true. actually stick with it's me. It's so they true. They actually matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and they don't. Yeah, they d- most of them yeah. don't. Occasionally, they inspire. And occasionally, they're funny, and it's it's a good way as a kind of pass some time. Occasionally. Yeah. All right. So before we went down the dopamine ego yeah. and the stimulation road, mm-hmm. we were. I was. What was I talking about?
1: You were talking about ego... What were you
0: talking A defense about? of the ego, wasn't I talking yeah, about my defense, defense of the yeah. ego? Yeah, and yeah, I was talking yeah. about the small soul. Uh huh. So, so I, I guess what I've tried to come, and this is partly in relationship to the internal family systems work that you mentioned, uh, Schwartz and Eisman, you said, mm-hmm. and what you are referring as parts work, is that ego development is really important. Mm-hmm. And so when people are busy trying to self-deny ego experiences that are deeply tied to evolutionary motivations. That's problematic. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. better to develop a sense of self that can account for, obviously, you know, at some level or at every level, we're more connected to the universe and to the play of, of nature and, and life than we imagine ourselves to be. That's a problem. But more importantly, that there is a, um, yeah, I just lost that off to come back. Let's see. Let's go to your thing and then maybe it'll re-stimulate mine.
1: The thing that was coming up for me just to kind of continue a little bit on the simulation of movement um, is just how important actual movement is. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like actual Analog, full on friction. Fr- yeah, true friction and movement in the world, you know, whether that's through exercise or sex or, um, what are some other good I movement? don't think anything else is important <laughs> beyond those two. <laughs> no, you, you've got the full list. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> No, I think creative movement could definitely fall in there, like, mm-hmm. you know, an inspiration like today. Like, yeah. this is a creative movement. We're actually moving mm-hmm. something energy yeah. and neurologically. But you're right to come back to movement mm-hmm. because that's dopamine's, like, basic function. And we know from people who are dealing with Parkinson's that when you have dopamine issues, you have movement issues. Yeah, right. absolutely. So I think it's good to name those.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I still want to hear your defense of the ego.
0: So my defense is that the ego is essential, it's partial, mm-hmm. but it needs development. And if we're busy trying to knock it down, we're, we're hurting our soul a little bit. I find it's much more benevolent, connected to realize that the deep motivations in me, I think I recovered, is, is around the values that I am evolved to have in my life that the concerns that I have that I would call stress where my ego concerns and self-defense would come up are implicitly there because of the thread of humanity. Okay, somewhat exaggerated, distorted with modern culture or whatever, but they're still at work. You know, all the research says these things are still working out through us and we're not going to like quickly bypass them. We're not going to quickly suddenly jump around these things Mm -hmm. we're going to be carrying them Mm. and so i think that we are in a time of humanity where uh, you know a lot of social activism i wish humans wouldn't you know i wish we wouldn't i wish we couldn't you know and there's a lot of things i agree with but i think we're not going to get there just by wishing but by really teaching us all to develop and i think that's why parts work is actually so transformative potentially for for society is when we start to come into these different neurological evolutionary parts and give them an actual place. Mm, totally. Like, if I don't have value in myself, if there's no place for value, of course I'm going to be depressed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that, and that that's a real genuine human need. Yeah, you know, And that control, yeah. which is the other word that comes with the ego, if you want to cause stress at a level that causes disease in an organism, put them in a place where they have no control. Take a primate separate them from other primates, no food resources, lots of predators, they're going to be highly stressed out. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you need a, a modicum of control. Mm-hmm. And this gets back to, you know, we could go back to the stimulation where it's the illusion where we think we have control through our phones or something, but do we genuinely have control over the trajectory right now? I think that's a really good question and I think it's questionable. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: Mm-hmm. I love all of those thoughts. Yeah. 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 Is, you know, the ego is partly the semblance, like you said, of control. And I really like the idea, not only in parts work, but to also take it back to evolutionary biology, you know, that what I get from evolutionary biology is that it makes sense so much of how we behave. It makes sense so much of our patterns you know of relating to each other and how we do need each other in community and um and so much of the status stuff and the sexuality stuff i mean it's just there's there's just some wiring there that we're not ultimately limited by and we are in this moment in humanity where it's like we are a rising ape so uh, yeah, I say upright primate, upright pr- primate,
0: because I think that ape has some, you know, yeah. social significance right. in terms of social history and social suppression. Right. But I think primate's a, a cleaner word. So I go, yeah. I go rise, rising primates, rising good. I go Upr- upright, upright primate. primate. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I really like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that we are, um, that we can understand what our heritage is evolutionarily. In our neurology, in our brain, in our bodies, in our behavior, and that we can now we can know that that's where we come from, and have compassion for it. Back to the parts work, and make choices around that, kind of evolve from that, and with that, yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's good. It's good, and there's a couple of things that come along with it for me, and I really love what you're saying. But a couple of things come along with is, you know, is the inequities. You know, I've, I've feel a tremendous amount of compassion for the kind of inequities for people who are not giving the parts that they need in order not to feel massively stressed as a human in this world. You know, I'd like to see more equity around that. Like it's, it's interesting to tie the deep inborn issues of evolutionary biology with social justice and be like, mm. you know, this is actually speaking to the dignity of of, Of humanity of 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 each of each of each person and and recognizing that yeah
1: yeah i was listening to krista tippett um interviewing jane Hirschfield okay on her podcast a couple days ago and they were both talking about how and this is a very nascent idea for me but it fits with what you're saying about how as human beings we do need to evolve out of a an economic system that has so many people stressed out all the time that really makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, that's a, that's a, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I, um, in terms of toxic stress in particular, mm-hmm. I mean, we, I, I'm, you know, I'm pro stress too. I'm pro a little bit of control. I'm pro a little bit of ego and yeah. I'm pro stress. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, which is funny. Um,
1: well, it's what we've got to deal with. I yeah. Mean, we, we're here totally, with it. Totally, yeah. totally.
0: So, you know, the, there's also something really beautiful around, um, you know, in Chinese medicine, they call it the three treasures: the Jing, Qi, and Shen, and and so like they understood the essence of humanity in a way, and they saw it as connected to the essences of the earth and the essences of the of the sky and the heavens, and and there was a deep wisdom that was there, and so it's nice to appreciate it, like and kind of like tie what we might frame as egoic problems as a part that's trying to work itself out that has function and value and our job is to solve that riddle and that puzzle for ourselves and more and more people. Nice. And give them a place. I really
1: like that. That's a good invitation. That's a good starting, not only almost a new year, but for you, a new decade. (laughs) I just want to acknowledge that, that you turned 50 today. Yeah. You're turning 50. You're in the process of turning. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, no, it's good to do this. I kind of like this is like a birthday present in a way yeah, to, to have this that's conversation. Really sweet. You. Thank you so much for joining us today. All music is performed by the incredible and effervescent Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. Please support this podcast by following us on your favorite streaming platform, sharing it with your community and friends, and by making a modest donation to our Patreon page. To learn more about this show. Our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work, helping people make peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us.